0: All right, praise the Lord. Well, welcome this morning to Westside Foursquare Church, uh, if you're joining us online. Um, and I'm really excited about what I'm going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Into the Mess. And we're going to start with a verse that is typically a Christmas verse. So before we pray, let's read through this. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18, and uh, please flip or click. Remember, I always encourage you: open your Bible and check out what the pastor or teacher is telling you, and make sure that it's actually in there. Okay, so Matthew 1, starting in verse 18, it says, "Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way: when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together." That's a quote from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. One of Jesus' names is God with us. Mm-hmm. So let's pray. God, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts today. God, let our, let, the, let our hearts and our minds be good soil to receive the seed of your word today and to produce a harvest. God, mm-hmm. we ask that you would um, allow us to humble ourselves to let the word change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So typically this passage in talking about Emmanuel is talked about at Christmas, which is fine, that's good because it's about the birth of Jesus, right? But I want to talk a little bit more about this because I think that there may be something deeper to this whole Emmanuel thing. Something that we don't always consider but that we need to consider. What if this prophecy of God with us isn't just about Jesus being born on earth. I mean, it's true that God with us does refer... That's his name, by the way. That's one of Jesus' names, um, is Emmanuel. And it does mean God with us. And it does refer to Jesus being born at Christmas and becoming a human being and walking the earth with humans, okay? But what if there's something even deeper? What if God with us means something even more astonishing and amazing and important than just that he was born on earth and walked the earth with us. In fact, what if this prophetic name, God with us, is something that he still wants to fulfill today? So I want to talk to a little bit about that. But in setting that up, I want to talk about a story that's in John chapter 11. Go ahead and flip or click over to John chapter 11. Jesus had some really good friends, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. They were good friends. The Bible says that Jesus loved them. Jesus would go to their house a lot. In fact, the last week before Jesus was crucified, they believed he went to the city where they lived, the town where they lived, and it's believed that he lived with Lazarus and Mary and Martha the last week before he died. He was good friends with them. But a while before that, he was out preaching in the countryside in another town, and Lazarus got very, very sick. He was very sick. And they sent messengers to Jesus to tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus said, we're not going now, we're going to wait a couple days. So when he finally gets there, it's too late. Lazarus has already been dead for four days by the time Jesus shows up. So if you, turn to, uh, if you turn to verse 17 in John chapter 11, it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard, listen closely to this, to how Jesus interacts with Martha. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Isn't that an interesting interaction that he has with Mary? And then he turns around and he has a, a, a very different interaction with, uh, or with Martha. Then he turns around and has a very different reaction, starting in verse 28 with Mary, with her sister. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she said basically the same thing to Jesus that Martha had said to Jesus. But Jesus responds to her very, very differently. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And in this story, we see Jesus walking out this name of being with us. Jesus shows us and both sisters, uh, Jesus shows us. Um, oh, Jesus shows up. Sorry, I had a misprint on there. Jesus shows up and both of the sisters confront him the same way. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. So both of them kind of accuse him. Do you notice that? Mm -hmm. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Here's what Jesus does not do that I notice in in this picture. Good grief, Martha. Where is your faith? You dare question me? He doesn't say, well, how am I supposed to perform a miracle, Martha, if you don't have any faith? He didn't say that. He also says, God, he does not say, gosh, Martha, what are you questioning What are you questioning me for? How dare you question me? He does not say, sheesh, Mary, why are you crying? Can't you see that I'm here now? Don't you believe in me? What are you all so upset for? What's wrong with you? Why are you giving into your emotions like this? Jesus doesn't say any of those things. But I want to ask you a question. How often does his church say those things?
1: Mm. Yeah. Ah.
0: How often does the church say to people, "Well, why are you why do you have questions? Why do you have doubts about God? Where's your faith? Why don't you just believe what the Bible says?" How often does the church say, "Well, why don't you just do what you're told? Why don't you just trust whatever the teacher tells you?" How often does the church say, well, why are you giving into your emotions? Just stand in faith. How often does the church say, suck it up, stop crying, stop hurting. Come out of your mess so that Jesus can help you. Not only the church, but how often do we do this in people's lives? You know what? You really need Jesus. You need to come to church with me. Mm. You need to stop believing all the lies and vote like I do. <laughs> yeah, Honey, would you stop crying and just let me fix it? We say, look, there's safety, there's hope for you. Come out of your mess and let me help you. But Jesus' name is Emmanuel. Jesus' name isn't you come to me. Jesus' name is God with us. Martha came to Jesus in her doubt and in her confusion. She accused, she questioned Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He entered into that doubt and confusion with her. He had a conversation with her. He stopped and listened to what she had to say. Listened to what she was thinking. Rachel?
1: I just wanted to point out that Emmanuel it, uh, also isn't, I'll be there when I get to it. I'll be there soon. Just hold on. Just hold tight. I'll be there soon. No, it's, i I'm already here.
0: Yeah. It's God with us. Mm-hmm. And when Martha came to Jesus with her doubt and her confusion and and her accusations and her questions, Jesus stopped and he entered into those doubts with her. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. He paused long enough to experience the thoughts Mm -hmm. and questions that she had. He led her to truth, but he didn't do it from the outside. He didn't stand outside and say, what's wrong with you, come here. He entered into the mental storm she was having. He entered into the mess that she was in to guide her out of it. Mary came to Jesus in a severe emotional crisis. Her heart was broken over the loss of her brother. She was confused and hurt that Jesus had not come. And what did Jesus do? He entered into that hurt with her. Mm -hmm. He paused. And he wept with her. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was not weeping because Lazarus was dead. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus. Jesus knew that this day of mourning was going to end with a party of celebration. He knew that. So why did he stop and weep? Because he was entering into... Mm what Mary was experiencing. He didn't stand outside of it and go, well, gosh, Mary, pull it together. Hello, I'm God. If you just stop crying, I'll fix it. He didn't say that. He entered into her emotional storm with her. He experienced the emotional storm with her. He entered her mess. Peter had a similar encounter with Jesus after the resurrection. Do you remember that at At Jesus' trial, do you remember what Peter did? He denied Jesus three times. Jesus had told him, before the trial, before Jesus' arrest, Peter said, even if you die, Lord, I'll follow you into death. And Jesus said, you know what, Peter? He said, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. So while Jesus was in his trial, Peter was outside with the guards and hanging out with the people out there. And three times he denied Jesus. Knowing Christ. He denied being a follower of Christ. The Bible says he did it with oaths and cursing. And you know what was the worst part? When he denied Jesus three times, the rooster crowed. And one of the Gospels tells us that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Peter utterly failed. Completely failed. All his commitment, all his big promises to Jesus, he utterly failed in those. So turn with me, let's see what Jesus said to him after the resurrection. Turn to John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. John 21, starting in verse 15. Jesus met with his disciples. Jesus actually made him breakfast. He had fish for breakfast. Jesus and I are going to have to have a talk because I don't like fish.
1: <laughs>
0: so when we get to heaven, he's either going to have to make me something different or help me like fish. Either way is fine, mm-hmm. but if he's going to be making fish for breakfast, I'm going to need a little help. Peter?
1: In heaven, I don't think we're going to have taste buds. <laughs>
0: no, I think in heaven we are going to have taste buds. The Bible says we're going to You're have feasts there. preparing a
1: feast for us. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yep. Okay,
0: never mind. That's going to be some party, too. <laughs> yeah. So... After breakfast, John 21, starting in verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this, but everywhere that it has the English word love, I'm going to replace it with what the Greek word is in the original Greek. Okay? Because in English, we only have one word for love. In Greek, there are four or five words that are translated as love. Okay? And two of those words are agape, which means God's love, sacrificial love, love that gives even when it hurts, and phileo, which is like a brotherly love. It's like an affection you have for someone, okay? And so I'm going to read this passage, but what I'm going to do is everywhere that it has the English word love, I'm going to tell you what the Greek is in the original Greek, all right? So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you agape me more than these? Mm -hmm. So Jesus said to him, Do you love me with God's kind of perfect love? And he said to him, or Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Mm. You can look this up in the Greek. Mm -hmm. It's easy. You can find it online. Peter said, I fail you. Jesus said, do you have perfect, godly love for me, Peter? Peter said, I have affection for you, Lord. Yeah. Peter has been completely humbled by this experience. He is very, very aware that he has utterly and completely and totally failed Jesus and let him down. No longer is he spouting his undying lo- loyalty. Lord, I'll follow you to the, lo- to the death. Now, Peter is completely humbled at this point. And where Jesus says, do you have perfect love for me? Peter is willing to state the truth. Mm-hmm. Lord, I have affection for you. I care about you. Verse That's 16. So- Verse 16, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And then Jesus the third time says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo Jesus changes the word that he uses. He stops asking Peter if he has perfect love for him. And he says, Peter, do you care about me? Do you have affection for me? And it says, Peter was grieved because was grieved because he said the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus doesn't stay aloft from Peter. He doesn't stay back here. He comes to Peter and says, Okay, Peter, do you love me with a perfect love? And Peter, in his humility and truth, in the middle of his failure and his shame before Jesus, Peter says the truth. He says, Lord, you know that I care about you, that I have have affection for you. And in the end, what does Jesus do? Jesus comes down to Peter's level and says, okay, Peter, do you have affection for me? Mm. And Peter remains honest and says, yes, I do. I have affection for you. He doesn't say, Peter, this phileo business just isn't enough. What's wrong with you? Step it up, buddy. No. No. Jesus comes down to Peter's level. He enters into Peter's mess of shame and embarrassment. And he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Basically what he's saying is he's coming down into Peter's mess and saying, I will take what you have to give. Mm -hmm. Turn with me to John chapter 8. Starting in verse 2. John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. Early in the morning, he, meaning Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. How did Jesus respond? It says in the middle of verse six, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. He stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Have you ever imagined this scene? Can you imagine the shame and embarrassment that this woman was feeling? Mm. She had been caught in the act of adultery. When they dragged her before Jesus, she still had the smell of the man on her.
1: Mm.
0: Her clothes were messed up. Her hair was messed up. She had been caught in the act of adultery. That's embarrassing enough. But then she had been brought out for public humiliation and shame. Brought in front of not only all these religious leaders, but brought in front of the righteous and just judge of the universe to be publicly condemned. So what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't condemn her. He doesn't accuse her. She's guilty. He knows she's guilty. She knows he's guilty. Everybody knows she's guilty. But instead, what does he do? He bends down and he begins to write in the dirt. Now, there's lots of debate and argument about what Jesus was writing. The truth is, we don't know. But you know what's amazing to me? That The only person in this crowd who has the right to judge her instead bends down and puts his fingers in the dirt. In a way, he's joining her in her humiliation. He's joining into the consequence. Now, he doesn't join her in her sin. Jesus doesn't come in and join us in our sin. But do you know what he does? He joins us in the consequence of our sin. Mm -hmm. He joins us in our wounding, in our confusion, in our shame, in our humiliation. He joins us there. So this woman is standing before him utterly guilty, utterly condemned. And he, instead of standing over her to condemn her, he bends down and he goes into the dirt. Jesus enters into her place of humiliation. He goes into her mess with her. Isn't that amazing? All of those others, all of those religious people that were condemning her, they had no right to judge her. You know why? Because all of them had sinned. All of them had sinned. The only one who had the right to judge her didn't. He entered into her situation, entered into the consequences of her sin, and then he guided her out. What did he say? He said, I don't condemn you. Go and don't sin anymore. But he didn't do it from out here. He didn't look at her and say, you horrible, shameful, sinful woman, stop it. No, he went down into her humiliation, into the consequences of her life choices, and led her out with him. That's what Jesus does. Do you think he knew he, they were trapping? Because the,
1: the, the text that he actually says to down both the man and the woman. hmm
0: and they hadn't done a stoning for a thousand years since that. Do you think he knew that it oh, yes. was a setup? Yeah, he knew it was a setup. The Bible tells us in numerous places that he knew what was the heart in the heart of men. And that he could read the hearts of the because Pharisees. The scripture says it's done both of them, not yep. just the woman. That's why some scholars think that she was actually ca- caught in adultery with another Pharisee. Some scholars suspect that that was what happened. Peter?
1: If. It's human nature to sin. Wouldn't God be telling a person to not sin? Wouldn't that be limiting their free will?
0: He tells us to not sin because it's healthy for us.
1: He doesn't force us not to sin, but he doesn't like us sinning. He's telling her not to sin Like
0: When you went to the dentist this week, right? Did he tell you to brush your teeth every day?
1: He actually did this time surprise me. <laughs>
0: but normally he tells you to brush your teeth, right? Does he come to your house and make you brush your teeth? No. No, why does he tell you to brush your teeth? Because
1: it's healthy.
0: Because it's healthy for you. That's why God tells us to leave sin because sin is unhealthy. Sin hurts us. And so Jesus, the point of what I'm talking about today though is that Jesus doesn't stand outside of our mess and tell us not to sin, he actually comes down into the mess of the consequences of our sin and leads us out of it. He comes down to where we are. This is why people flocked to Jesus. This is the reason that the hookers and the tax collectors and the thieves and the liars all came and repented this is why they washed his feet with their tears and wiped, it, wiped them with their hair. This is the reason why people follow Jesus, because Jesus was willing to enter into their mess. He didn't stand aloft. He didn't stand aloof from them and separate from them. He came down into the mess of the consequence of their sin, and he took their hand to lead them out of it. This is the reason why the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day were failing to increase righteousness in their nation. Because they stood outside and just pointed their finger and condemned. But this is why Jesus succeeds. He enters into the mess of our lives and he walks with us out of the mess and into righteousness. If we're willing to go. And honestly, this is why the organized church in America has failed to see the fruit of lost souls coming to Jesus. Turn to Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost? How long does he go after it? What does it say right there at the end of verse 4? Until he finds it. He says, which of you having a hundred sheep will leave the ninety-nine and go look for the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. But what does Jesus do? Does he stand with the 99 and go, Lost sheep, where are you? Come back. No. Jesus leaves and he goes to where the lost sheep is. He enters into their lost situation and he picks them up and he takes them home. Listen, I get it. Entering into people's messes is, is smelly, it's dirty, it's uncomfortable, it costs time and resources and emotions to enter into the, pe- the mess of the people around us. But do you know why I believe that most Americans who call themselves Christians are un- unwilling to enter into the mess of the people around them? Because They haven't encountered Jesus in their mess.
1: Mm.
0: That's why most American Christians will not, they're not willing to enter into the mess of anyone else because they haven't yet encountered Jesus in the middle of their mess. We're willing to dress up and go to church. We're willing to say the right things to behave the right way. We're willing to go to church and interact with a Jesus who's clean and antiseptic and not messy. And in the meantime, we cover up our own mess. We ignore our own confusion. We uh, pretend like we don't sin. We pretend like we don't have failure. We pretend like we're not weak and needy. We put on the right clothes and say the right words and we put the right uh, expression on our face And we go to a nice, clean, pretty church, and we meet with a holy and glorious Jesus on his throne. And why? I don't blame them for doing that. You know why? That's what they've been taught. Pastors and teachers in the church have taught people to clean up and come to church so Jesus can help you. Pastors and teachers in the church have said, well, you have to muster up enough faith so that you can get your miracle from God. We have to, you can't have any doubt. You have to have all your beliefs set. You can't have any doubt or questions. Don't come to Jesus and ask questions. But that's not really honest, is it? To not leave room for mess? That's not honest. Can I be real honest with everybody in here and everybody listening to me online? The truth is that behind all the veils, behind the confident smiles, behind the dressy clothes, behind the masks that we're wearing, the truth is your life is a mess, isn't it? Your life is a mess. You, there are things happening, you have hurts, you have wounding, you have questions, you have doubts. Do you, if you don't doubt the way God does things, if you don't question the way God does things, you're not being very honest with yourself, honestly. Because the Bible says that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are His ways above our ways, which means we're not going to understand them all the time. Yeah. I'm going to be real honest with the people in this room because this is our church. Your life is a mess, isn't it? Hey, my life is a mess. I have questions. I have doubts. I fail. I make mistakes. Rachel?
1: Uh, Going back a little bit, you had said that we don't want to, uh, to enter into other people's messes. Because we have, uh, haven't encountered Jesus in ours,
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that our fault or Jesus's fault that we haven't we haven't encountered Jesus in our message?
0: It's our fault because we don't admit that our life is a mess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because we wanna we wanna go meet a nice, clean, antiseptic Jesus somewhere. We don't wanna admit that our lives is a ma- that our lives are messes. Okay. but well, I have been finding out, most people believe that the Bible. Christian, not all. Right. But
1: they believe it's a nice story. They don't believe it in themselves. So they find it hard to believe that they, God could save anybody else that they think is an abomination. So right. if because they don't believe it, then they're not going to believe that God's going to work in someone else's life. I can't, more, I can't explain what I'm telling you. I, mean. that, no, no, no. That, I that. know what
0: you're talking about. Even more, if they don't experience it, yeah. they can't believe it can happen to someone else. And as long as we are putting on our masks and pretending like our lives are wonderful, we will never encounter Jesus in our mess. But let me tell you something. Jesus is not waiting for you at church. Jesus is not up there on his perfect righteous throne. Jesus is standing next to you and next to your mess and knocking on the door. The truth is, until we meet Jesus in the middle of our mess, we will not be able to meet anyone else in the middle of their mess. Jesus doesn't want to meet us at church. Where, the, where everybody's wearing their nice clothes and where the nice music is playing and everything's clean and the lighting is good. That's not where Jesus wants to meet you. Jesus wants to meet you at home in the dark when you're weeping and confused and afraid. Jesus wants to meet you at your job when you just totally fail to do what you're supposed to do. Jesus wants to meet you in the middle of your marriage when you and your spouse are fighting. Jesus wants to meet you when you're surrounded by people that you love that won't listen to truth. Jesus wants to meet you in the middle of your mess, and until he does, you can never meet anyone else in the middle of theirs. Mary and Martha were lost in confusion and emotional turmoil until they met Jesus in their mess. Peter's usefulness to Jesus was limited until he met Jesus in his mess. The woman caught in adultery was in bondage to her sin and shame and humiliation until she met Jesus in her mess. Jesus is not waiting on his throne. He's standing right next to you and right next to your mess. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, starting in verse 14, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You're a mess, he says to the church at Laodicea. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. So this church in Laodicea was putting on the show. Pretending like they were okay. Pretending like they weren't a mess. They had it all together. I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I'm successful. And Jesus says, you are a mess. (coughs) And then he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus says, the truth is that you're a mess, but you won't even see it. He says, let me give you treasure that lasts. Let me give you treasure. Clean clothes that look good to me. And then what does he say? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm not on the throne waiting for you to get everything cleaned up so you can come to me. He says, you are a mess. I have what you need, and I am right next to you, knocking on the door. Let me come into your mess. Mm -hmm. Let me come into your mess. When you're angry, Jesus wants to stand with you in that. When you're afraid, Jesus wants to come in and stand with you. When you're hurting, you're wounded. When you need healing, Jesus wants to come in and stand with you in the middle of your mess. He's not asking you to leave your mess and come to him. If you think that you have to dress up and go somewhere nice and clean and pretty and antiseptic to meet Jesus, you left Jesus back there, by the way. He's standing at the door of your mess. And you put on your clean church clothes and went, went off to church and you left him standing at the door of your mess. Because that's where he wants to meet you. And until we open the door and invite him into our mess, we will never be able to go into anybody else's mess. Jesus stands at your mess and knocks. So here's our self-check for the week. What did we say one of Jesus' names is? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Can I ask you a question? Is God with you or is he at church? Is God with you or is he at Bible study? Is he with you when you hit your thumb with a hammer and words come out of your mouth that probably shouldn't come out of your mouth? Is he with you when you're so angry at your spouse or your brother or sister that you can't hardly think a nice thought about him? Is he with you when your past sins come to haunt you in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and you're overcome by shame Mm -hmm. and fear? That's where Jesus wants to meet you. That's where Jesus is. Is Jesus Emmanuel in your life in your whole life or does he sit on a throne and you're trying to get to him because I got to tell you that that's just a religious idea that's not really Jesus then why do they teach before you can go to Christ you have to repent this is confusing me I'm going to be honest with you sure because Jesus we do need to repent but Jesus comes down and meets us in the consequence of our sin and we repent and follow him Does that make sense? We don't don't leave the consequence of our sin and go find Jesus. We sin, and then the things happen to us because of our sin, and Jesus is waiting right there. So we don't have to, I think what I'm trying to say is, we don't have to clean ourselves up first and then go to Jesus. Jesus comes to us in the middle of our sin and invites us to come out. He comes with us into our mess. And we do have to repent. He does preach a gospel of repentance. But he comes to us where we're stuck in our sin. And he offers... the His offer of the good news of the gospel is not him standing out here going, woo Come to me! The good news of the gospel is that Jesus up his pants and climbs down into your mud and muck and reaches his hand out and says, Will you take my hand and let me lead you out? And repentance is that relational piece that comes through relationship and it opens the door for relationship. Yes. And repentance is when we reach up and take his hand and let him take us out of the muck of our sin. We will not be free from our bondages. We will not be free from our past. We will not be free from our doubts or our fears. We will not receive the emotional and mental healing that we need until we stand in it and we open the door and let Jesus come into it with us. Lord, we come before you this morning. And God, we repent of thinking that we have to make it to you. That somehow we have to clean up and get to you. When the truth is that you come down to where we are and hold your hand out to us. And God, those of us who have already decided to follow you are the worst at this. We're the worst at thinking that we have to clean ourselves up and go meet you somewhere. When the truth is in the middle of our mess, you're standing right there with your hand out. God, I ask that you would help every person listening to my voice to open the door and let you come into their mess and love them where they are. God, that you would take our hand, that you would pull us out of the muck and that we would walk into life with you. And God, then that we would have, when we've experienced that, we will have the compassion to reach out to others in the middle of their mess. Because we'll know that we're not any better than they are. We don't have it more altogether than they do. We're not better people than they are. Mm -hmm. We've just found Jesus. And he's pulling us out of our mess. And he wants to come to them and pull them out of their mess too. God, humble us. Let us love people the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you all of you who are online. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Hopefully you found this encouraging, maybe a little challenging. I want to just tell you, Jesus wants to meet you where you are, in your mess. You're a mess. I know it. I know you're a mess because I'm a mess. We're all a mess. And Jesus wants to meet you in the middle of your mess. I want to encourage you to just pray and invite him to come into the mess where you're at to help you in the middle of your mess. We love you, we believe in you, and we believe in Jesus in you, and we will talk to you next week.